0: Hello, I'm Oliver Wong.
1: And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. This is a special episode brainstormed by our producer Christian, who suggested that with Father's Day coming up, maybe we'd want to do a father-daughter-son music special.
0: We all like the idea. Though I got to say, none of us had this idea around Mother's Day, and maybe it's because mother and daughter slash son music isn't nearly as intuitive as a a theme because of, I don't know, patriarchy perhaps. Morgan... (laughs) Should we make this up by doing a Mother's Day special next year?
1: I think so, because that's so shady that we left mothers (laughs) out. Um, We should definitely, (laughs) definitely do that.
0: Well, for this Father's Day special, we each picked three songs and two are songs that feature some kind of father child combo in some fashion or other. And the third song is going to be personal to us with me talking about music and my relationship to my 15 year old daughter and Morgan talking about music and her dad. But let's start it here though. And to circle back to my earlier observation, Morgan, why do you think it is that father child music does seem kind of prominent in pop music?
1: You know, this is a theory that would probably bear some, you know, more research and investigation. But I think it's because the assumption is that there is a lack of attention paid to fathers and that there needs to be that there needed there needed to be songs to make up for that. I think it's the assumption that we all love our mothers. We're going to wax on and on and on. And people need to shout out the fathers. Fathers don't get enough attention. So when Father's Mm. Day comes, make a big deal about it, because Mother's Day going to have your mothers are going to get better gifts The card, the card, um, (laughs) the range of cards is going to be better and dads are going to get socks. And so I think this is a pushback against sonic sock giving. And so that's why they have shown up um, in pop music to make up for Mm. when we miss them.
0: Well, I thought about this a bit more systemically, I suppose this is. This is uh, due to my sociological background here, but I'm wondering if families that have a famous musical father are more likely to raise kids who themselves go into the music business as opposed to families that have a famous musical mother. And I wasn't really joking when I said that I think patriarchy plays some role here because I think, and this maybe speaks partly to your point, Morgan, I think society tends to honor mothers on a personal level, but when it comes to professional role models, we put up fathers as being, oh, well, you should follow in the line of what your dad did. So if your dad was a musician or a singer or what have you, then that becomes a valid line of work. But because historically, we don't value women's work and therefore mothers' work, Even if you have someone who is the level of, let's say, a Madonna or a Beyonce or what have you, we don't necessarily make this instant expectation that their kids would follow in those footsteps.
1: I agree with that. I mean, I've always heard growing up that the mother is the psychological parent. So when there's an injury, um, dad buys the Band-Aids, but the mother heals the wounds. Mm. And so I think we have relegated them to a certain, to your point, psychological place. And when I think about kids following in the business, I, I do, I do think of you know bands like the Clark sisters, Karen Clark, you know her daughter Kiki Sheard, and especially in gospel music, there's so much legacy of that. But I think you yes. make a make a um, a valid point.
0: Well, let's get deeper into those musical examples. And Morgan, you want to go first with what uh, what song came to your mind in terms of being a father slash child combo?
1: Um, I went with "Father's Child," um, a song by by Michael Kiwanuka who's a, mm-hmm. uh, a British artist of Ugandan descent, and from his second album, which was a, uh, a tastemaker's favorite, it's called Love and Hate. Um, and for those not aware of him, he's been making a splash in the industry for almost a decade. I came to know him in uh, like late 2010, early 11. Um, he's got an old soul. You know, He's frequently compared to, to the soul crooners. Um, Marvin Gaye, Bill Withers, uh, we in the business music supervisors When someone gets syn- synced a lot We call them synchronized And so um, he is synchronized Because he's continually synced I myself place, placed his song Love and Hate On two different shows On
2: mm-hmm. Queen Sugar
1: uh, And on Dear White People
2: Calling for my demons Not to let go. I need something Give me something wonderful
1: Our former guest, Thomas Golovich, who came on to talk about De La Soul, plays the song, Rest, on Grace and Frankie. Rest your
2: Leave out uh,
1: and his Cold Little Heart is the actual theme song to Big Little Lies. So his pen gets money, okay? Trust and believe. If I had to describe the album in a word, it would be deep. um, And for, you know, more eloquent and compelling adjectives, refer to the review in Pitchfork, which calls it a, quote, sustained, stylized, plunge into despair, uh, plaints of isolation, doubt, lovelessness, racial injustice, longing, hopelessness, and a certain resolve, despite it all, often set to mournful minor chords, end quote. Uh, Yeah, so get into that. Um, The song Father Child is also a bit mournful and introspective, and I love it. Um, The surprising thing for somebody as churchy as I am, it took me a few listens for me to realize that he was actually talking about God.
2: I've been searching for miles and miles
0: Again, not to go off on a tangent here, but what helps an artist become synchronized? What separates the artist who's well synchronized as opposed to the one that's not?
1: That's a good question. You know, I've talked about this with, with artists, and it really has to do with not just the quality of songs, but the ability of songs um, to be placed in different, you know, different narrative situations, I'll say. And his songs are very emotional um, the the way they're produced, they're instantly cinematic and he's got some hardcore themes. I mean Black man in a white world. I mean um, everything that I described from the pitchfork review is are all of his songs in a nutshell, and they just lend themselves to being synced. I mean he's I mean he's like I said, if you go to his page, he's had some big syncs and the fact that Um, Love and Hate has been synced on not just the two shows that I named, but a couple of other shows, tells you a lot about him. And I think the difference is one, you need tastemakers to get behind you. I think that's one. And I think you need to come to the attention of music supervisors pretty quickly.
0: For my first example, I did go with a literal, in this case, duet between father and, in this case, daughter, though I think it's a bit more obscure than what might uh, others might assume. And part of this comes about from the fact that I'm currently working on liner notes for a reissue of Donny Hathaway's debut album, which amazingly turns 50 years old this year. Everything is everything. And, of course, the best-known song, I think, off of that LP is The Ghetto. And if you listen closely, and this comes around close to the five minute mark, you can hear the cries of Donnie and Lala's uh, Hathaway's firstborn daughter, Layla Hathaway, uh, on here. I spoke with drummer Rick Powell, who produced the album and also wrote the original liner notes for it. And he says that this was his idea to bring Layla into the studio and get her onto the microphone. And elsewhere, uh, Yulala, her mother, had su- has suggested that this might have been the first time a baby was brought onto a record like this. Want to say that claim might be a little bit unlikely, only because by 1970, I just feel like there would have been 70 plus years of recorded music and probably somebody thought to bring the baby on. But nonetheless, I do like the idea that this being the first time and certainly, you know, as Layla Hathaway has obviously gone on to her own very successful solo career. It's nice to think of this as being her father's first uh, time recording a studio LP that she was featured on there, uh, even if it's a very small credit, I think. And along similar lines, I think it's also notable that Layla does sing her father's songs in concerts, but as far as I know, she's never recorded a studio version of one of his songs on one of her own recordings. She has, I think the closest that it's come, she has, however, been a featured guest on a Donnie Hathaway cover. And specifically, I'm thinking of the 2002 cover of Someday We'll All Be Free, which was featured on Take Six's album beautiful world.
2: Keep your stride
0: I definitely respect Layla's decision to want to make her own recordings her own, which makes sense when you are the scion of a of a famous parent. But that said, I mean, Donny's compositions are so wonderful. Like, I could imagine Layla doing a cover of, let's say, "Thank You, Master," that would just absolutely slay. And maybe she has done it in concert, but uh, it's not something that you're going to find on one of her studio LPs.
1: Well, she did cover um, his "A Song for You" at the. Uh, at the festival, the jazz festival in Singapore a couple years ago, it was called Sing Jazz. It's glorious because she's got, um, you know, so much of his his voice, so much of the timbre of his voice, the quality of his voice, you hear in her voice. She's got an incredible voice that she does amazing things for. And I thought this was a really beautiful um, version. I know your image of me is what I hope to be. I treated you unkindly. Darling, can't you see?
0: We will be back with more of our Father's Day special after a brief word from some of our sibling Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked.
1: I'm Biz, And I'm Teresa.
0: And we host "When Bad Mother, a comedy podcast about parenting.
1: Whether you are a parent or just know kids exist in the world, join us each week as we honestly share what it's like to be a parent.
0: These are really hard questions. They are really hard questions. I don't have any answers for that. I don't either. Sack of garbage. I know.
1: of the show will just be five minutes of There's and <laughs> Teresa crying and screaming until the outro
2: is played. So join us each week as we judge less, laugh more, and remind you that you are doing a great job. Find us on MaximumFun.org, on Apple
0: Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hi, I'm Jackie Cation. Hi, I'm Lori Kilmartin. And we have a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show. Who are you, Lori Martin? Oh, my God. So much pressure. Uh i a stand-up. I've been stand-up since 1987. Uh, I'm a writer for Conan. I've written a couple books, have a couple CDs out, have a special out. Who are you, Jackie? Well, I, too, am a stand-up comic since 1984, and uh, I do the road like a maniac and uh, don't have a cool writing job, but I have four albums out working on a new album. We talk about stand-up. We talk about uh, all the different parts of stand-up comedy. So that's The Jackie and Lori Show, and you should subscribe
0: on Maximum Fun if you want to hear that. (laughs) And I would encourage you not to.
2: When
1: we are back on Heat Rocks talking songs about fathers and their children, Oliver, what you got next?
0: I've talked about Rufus Rainwright, the Canadian singer-songwriter on the show on numerous occasions, and I've been a fan of his songs for about 20 years now. And in discovering him, it's how I learned about both of his parents, both of whom uh, are, or I guess were legends in the Canadian folk music scene. His late mother was Kate uh, McGargle of the McGargle sisters. And his father is Loudon Wainwright III, who is still alive and still recording. And I discovered this in, in prep for today that one of Loudon's earliest mentions of his song came on uh, Loudon Wainwright III's 1975 LP, Unrequited, with the song that's entitled Rufus is a Titman, which is all about breastfeeding.
1: Rufus is a tit man sucking on his mama's gland, sucking on the nipple. It's sweeter than the ripple wine.
2: Yes, it's sweeter than the wine.
1: You can tell by the way the boy burps that it's got to taste fine. My mother's going to hear this and be like, I thought you guys were staying spiritual uh, on there. He...
0: Loudon is being pro-breastfeeding in a time before the kind of breastfeeding wars broke out in the 90s and 00s. So he was a bit of ahead of his time, albeit in a very crass way, I suppose.
1: And that's what I'm going to say to my mother. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to appeal to the artistic part of the song. This is my first time hearing that, actually. So
0: it's my first time, too. And it's it's not the direction I thought it would have gone, except that I until you remember that in 1975, Rufus would have been a baby. So it would have been very inappropriate to have been. Describing him as a tit man in in any other context than perhaps breastfeeding? Yeah. Yeah. In any case, I know the two men have had, I think they had a more difficult relationship when Rufus was a child. His parents divorced when he was young. But as adults, they seem to have reconciled. And they do frequently sing backup for one another on each other's albums. But I was trying to find an example where the two of them sung on the same song as a duet. And the one example that I came across came out in 2012 on Loudon's album, Older Than My Old Man Now, which is notable because this is the title refers to his relationship to his own father, presumably Loudon Wainwright II. And this is him and Rufus singing on the song together called The Days That We Die.
2: And I have to say that the days that we die aren't that far away will never change, neither will I. We'll stay the same till the days that we die. I'll
0: One of the things I like about hearing the two of them together is that if you look at listen to their body of work, there are certainly some places where they cross over, but for the most part, I think they have very distinct musical and artistic identities, and vocally too, you just would never confuse one with the other. And so hearing them sing together, it's not like you're getting a mirrored effect. You're really getting these two distinct personalities who are, I think, really great and accomplished artists in their own individual rights, who also happen to be related to one another. And obviously, I'm sure that's not coincidental. In other words, I don't know if Rufus would have gotten to where he was if he didn't Grow up as the son of both Kate and of Loudon, but nonetheless, I, I like hearing them and doing duetting together because it is so clear that they have they come to these songs from their own experiences, where some of it is shared, but a lot of it is kind of unique unto themselves.
2: Mm-hmm. They stay the same. People like us, folks wanna win when they can choose important than that Folks don't want to lose
0: Morgan, what's your next choice?
1: Babyface. And uh, the title track to his album from 1996 The Day. I felt
2: a blessing straight from God The day that you gave me
1: a son. this was really beautiful because it's celebrating um, the day that um, he found out that he was having a son. Um, it's really be- beautiful and poignant and talking about how he cried all day and how he told everyone about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember hearing the song on the album, but I also saw him perform it um, on, on Oprah, on an episode of Oprah. Um, it was he and his wife um, and he sang, you know, everyone was gushing and, and emotional about it. But, I love that because I'm not aware of that many songs where fathers talk about um, their child being born or that moment besides, you know, obviously um, Stevie Wonder's Isn't She Lovely, um, where you do hear the baby crying in the background. Right. And he talks about you right. know, his love for his for his baby.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering, his son would probably be somewhere in the ballpark of about 25 or 26 years old now, given how old this song is.
1: The first one, and, yeah.
0: Yeah, H- has any of his kids followed in his footsteps into the music business, as far as you know?
1: I saw, I think on Instagram, um, that his son was interning with his, his ex-wife, um, mm. who I think was um, a VP at Yabium Records back in the day and might still be in the music industry. mm
0: mm-hmm. mm
1: um, but it, it will be interesting to find out if either one of his sons becomes a singer. so that no yeah. pressure you're just kid, you know you're just the child of babyface um, or a right. songwriter but, but God, you know what a lineage. I mean yeah. he, he is one of the greatest and most prolific songwriters of all time and so no doubt. this song no is doubt. just um, you know an example of that.
2: I can't remember It's like a song. Never I've never sung, but the word.
0: Well, that was a very personal song, of course, by Babyface talking about the birth of his son. And we wanted to end our segment here by getting real personal ourselves. And Morgan, certainly you've spoken frequently on the show about the role that music has played in your own relationship with your dad.
1: Yeah, and it should come as no surprise to our listeners that I chose Earthwind and Fire again. Yeah, um, yep, yep. There's only like six hundred and forty thousand Earthwind and Fire albums, but the 1979 album "I Am" uh, is the one that I chose, and this is the album that Boogie Wonderland and and uh, and After the Love is after the love is gone um, mm. are on. It was hard to pick. Um, an album, and it was hard to pick a song because so many of them um, are connected to to my father and I, and why I talk about Earth Wind and Fire and the relationship it has with me and my father so often is I credit that um, that band and those songs um, for teaching me how to listen to music and teaching me um, you know what I think is music etiquette, especially when you're um, in a car with someone or in a space with someone for whom. Um, a band is playing that they're very attached to themselves, how to be respectful of that space, of sonic space. And also, it was my first experience of emotion connected with with music. Songs that made me cry, watching my father be joyful. You and I is the song that I picked, and it's a love song. But it's so sweet, and um, it just reminds me. Every time I listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire, I see my dad's face. And luckily, he's he's still with us um, but I see his face and I recapture those moments of um, a very cool dude that loved music and was, you know, a stereophile had great sound, you know, great sound systems in the car in the house. And I just thank him for helping me to listen to music. I just want to say also that he's part of the reason that so often I listen to music with my eyes closed and not just personally at home when I'm listening to music, but, um, when I'm preparing music or about to pitch music, um, because I'm, because of him and my relationship with him in music, in in terms of my work, I'm more interested in how it feels and how it sounds. And Mm. I'm able to, um, connect with how it feels when I listen to music with my eyes closed.
0: I'm curious, have you ever had a conversation with him about how he discovered Earth Wind and Fire and what it is about the band that he loves so much about them?
1: You know, I haven't, and, and that's a great idea. I think maybe we, you know we can sit down, and maybe if we do another Father's Day um, series, maybe I sit down and have a conversation with him about that, and maybe mm. you sit down um, with your baby and you, you talk about you know you guys' relationship with music. I think that's a great idea for, for an upcoming series, because I am curious to know you know, why them, he listened to a lot of stuff and he's got, he's like music, music factoid summer camp, but it's, yeah. it's this, it's earth, wind and fire. That's it for him. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it, it would be interesting to find out why that they are it for him.
2: Earth, wind and fire, one of the greatest bands ever, the innovative, uh, precise, uh, tight musicians, outstanding musicians and feel good music. I first heard the group in 1975 while I was in England. Uh, And that was the first time I purchased uh, an Earth, Wind & Fire album. That's the way of the world. Uh, After I got back to the States, I continued to listen to that group and buy more of the albums. The music, as I said, was outstanding. The songs were were uplifting. Uh, Feel good. Uh, Everybody could relate to that music. Uh, And here again, they were popular. Uh, I saw them first in Atlanta. Uh, the first show was mesmerizing. Uh, a lot of uh, special effects, but what was more apparent was the fact that they were outstanding musicians. The music was good, and they were a the tight group. "That's the Way of the World" is still one of my favorite albums, and the title song "That's the Way of the World" is one of my favorite tunes. That's one of the songs that I would play at my funeral. The world. Oh, 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 oh. That impressive. Here again, uh, there's no greater group than Earth, Wind, and Fire.
0: I don't have really strong connections for myself around music and my father who's still around. He did listen to some pop music growing up that I recall. So something, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, maybe the Beatles. But generally speaking, we just never connected over music at all. And so I oftentimes describe my own musical development as being very much separate from my parents. And I think especially growing up as the child of immigrants and Asian immigrants in particular, there just was not necessarily going to be a lot of, I think, easy cases where you would see that kind of crossover happening, um, at least in my experience. But of course, I I think this has been very different for myself and my daughter Ella who is now 15 years old because from early on I was introducing her both in direct and indirect ways to all kinds of music especially because I would drive her around and she would hear the whatever I was listening to in the car one of my earliest musical examples that comes to mind um, is a 1960s soul single by the New Holidays called Maybe So, Maybe No. And I played it in the car so much. This is probably in the mid-late 2000s when Ella was, I don't know, maybe four or five years old at most. And it was one of the first non-children songs that I recall her having memorized the lyrics to because, again, she heard me play it so often. In fact, I have an example of her singing that hook that we taped when she was that age. Hey Ella, what's what song did you want to hear in the car? These two? Was it Old MacDonald? Okay. Okay. Um, what
1: song? Maybe you... So maybe, no maybe, so maybe, no, maybe.
0: Can you sing it for me? Maybe. As she's gotten older, however, the tables have turned, and I would say that these days I am just as likely to learn about new music and new artists through her as opposed to the other way around. And case in point, I'm not sure if I would have naturally or organically come across listening to LA's own Doja Cat if it wasn't for Ella going around singing the hook to say so all the time. The two of us share a Spotify account, which gives each of us a window into what the other person listens to. And partly through that, I've been asking her to help me with programming different guest radio sets that I've been asked to do during lockdown. It's just been an activity that occupies both of our time while we're stuck at home together nonstop and and gives us something to bond over. And it's through her playlist, which I let her pick the songs and she does most of the sequencing for them as well. It has really turned me on to a bunch of new artists, including this Welsh singer-songwriter Kate Lebon, who I'm almost positive there's no way I would have discovered Kate Lebon if not through Ella. and now I'm a very big fan of this 2013 song that Lebon recorded called "Are You With Me Now?" which reminds me a little bit of Karen Dalton's work, which we had obviously talked about in this show uh, a couple of months back.. I
2: see no
1: When you're in the car with her, you know, when you guys are rolling out, um, do you you let her also choose the music for the ride or do you shuffle or how do you do it?
0: No, it's funny you should ask that because it's only been in the last, I'd say maybe six months or so, where she will deliberately ask as we get into the car. She basically will say, can I DJ? Which means that she wants control over what we listen to and she wants to pair her phone with the, the Bluetooth car system and play what she wants to play. And I would say... I don't know, 60/40 or I should say let me flip that. 40/60, I'll say yes, <laughs> but I'm so used to being in control of what's in the car because I drive all the time in my family and the the unofficial rule is whoever's driving gets to choose what we li- gets to choose the soundtrack. And so I can sometimes even though I like hearing what she listens to, I can get a little bit impatient and since I have controls on the steering wheel, if there's a song that comes on her playlist that I'm just not feeling, I'll just, without asking permission, just skip over it, and she'll get very indignant at me in terms of why. It'll be very interesting as she, you know she's going to qualify for her learner's permit and her driver's license before I know it. and As she begins driving, no doubt she will assert the, hey, I'm driving, I get to control the music rule. And then maybe I'm just going to have to sit there and just deal with it in terms of, or I'll have to ask permission, say, wait, I want to DJ today, even if she's driving. So we'll see how that plays out as she gets older.
1: I asked because I went to visit my dad in um, Memphis. I went for a family reunion. My father's from Memphis. And so um, he did a lot of the driving. And I was like, is this the time that I suggest some, some tunes? Yeah. Um, but I didn't. And I think I just, uh, you know, I thought, let me let him bump his hits. But more than anything else, I wanted to hear him talk. Because mm-hmm. whenever he'll, he'll, he puts on a song, he talks about it, you know. And we're riding through Memphis. And so I wanted to hear all that he had to say. And he was playing a lot of blues, which surprised me, because I expected to hear either Earth, Wind & Fire or Fusion. Um, but he played a lot of blues. And so um, what I wish for you and, and for Ella is that, you know, when she grows up, Uh, that she remembers all these musical moments that you shared, just like I remember all of these uh, with my dad.
0: Yeah, no, I certainly hope so as well. In place of our usual, you should next check out recommendations, since we weren't talking about a single album on today's episode, we wanted to use that opportunity to throw out at least one more piece of music for folks to peep uh, along today's themes uh, in whatever fashion. And the song that I ended up going with is a bit of a stretch because it's really not a song about parenthood at all, even though it has the word fathers in it, but it is off of something that I've been listening to a lot in recent weeks for uh, perhaps kind of obvious reasons, which is... Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson's incredible collaboration on Winter in America, which came out, I think, in 1972 or 73. And so much of that album right now especially just resonates in terms of their commentary on what was then Nixonian, Watergate-era America. And there's sadly a lot of resonance you can find with our current moment now. And the song that I was drawn to for this particular bonus cut is the song Rivers of My Fathers from that LP. Let me lay down by a stream
1: And let me be mine
0: As I said, it's not a song about parenthood. It's really about, I mean, it's about a lot of things. And that just, that, that part of the hook about rivers of my father carry me home. I really, really can feel the sentiment around that right now.
1: My pick would be from 1991 and an album called Life of a Kid yes. in the Ghetto. <laughs> G in the Bulldogs. That's right, baby. The song is Be a Father to Your Child. And um, I've been floating around in early 90s hip hop lately. The um, the pandemic has done a lot to my to what I listen to. And for the most part, I can only listen to instrumentals. When I'm not listening to that, I've been deep into early 90s hip hop. And I mm-hmm. love Roy Ayers. And so you've got The Marriage of Both, The Ill Sample of Searching, and Be a Father to Your Child. I love the message here. I love that he's taking a stand. That's that to me is very supportive of mothers. I remember when my brother bought this uh, song home, and I remember the video and bumping it. So really help. Half of the fathers with sons and daughters don't
0: even wanna take them, but it's so easy for them to make them. It's true. If it weren't for you, then the child wouldn't exist. After a skis, there's responsibility. So don't resist. Be your father to the child. Be
1: your to and I remember, I think I had the my brother had the Casingle. And shout-out to Ka Singles. Shout-out uh, uh, shout, yeah. <laughs> shout to Casingles. Shout-out to Casingles. So that got bumped over and over and over again, although it takes some work with Casingles because you got to do all that rewinding and stuff. Um, but this is one of my favorite songs from the early 90s.
0: And shout-out to the remix of the song, which uses a different part of the same Royer song. So they really got double mileage <laughs> out of one one song. A sample yields two different tracks, which I always thought was a very kind of clever, uh, maximizing, very efficient, like I said, use of of a sample.
2: For sure. You see, I hate when a brother makes a child and then denies it. Thinking that money is the answer, so he buys it. A whole bunch of gifts and a lot of presents. It's not the presents, it's your presence and the essence of being there. And showing the baby that you care. Stop sitting like a chair and have your baby wondering where you are.
1: First of all, we want to wish everyone a happy Father's Day. Hope you enjoy uh, this day and your time with your family. We also want to shout out Christian for suggesting this idea um, to spend a little time uh, on fathers and dads. So shout out to Christian.
0: You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong, and Morgan Rhodes.
1: Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup.
0: Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows.
1: Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne.
0: We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles.